Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss. The lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. Hello and welcome to Unequal Sequel. I am Dave and I'm one of your two hosts for this new and exciting podcast. And I'm Rich and I'm also one of two hosts of this exciting podcast. Think of me as Murtar to Dave's Riggs. I'm too old for this shit and he thinks he's a loose cannon with bad hair. The premise of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests their best sequel, worst ever sequel and finally their dream sequel. And of course quite often we drift off course and just have a few chats about movies. On today's episode, we are joined by Helen O'Hara. Helen is a fantastic film journalist, and you might know her from her brilliant work on Empire Magazine and also the Empire Film Podcast. Uh, she's recently released a book called Women vs. Hollywood, which came out in February this year. We're very excited to sit down with Helen and chat all things sequel with her. This is Helen O'Hara's Unequal Sequels. Enjoy. Helen, I've just read on your Wikipedia that your first ever... Yep. I have a Wikipedia. Yeah. I, huh. Did you not okay, know that? Right? This is amazing. I mean, no, I think the last time I looked it up, it was, um, there was a Helen O'Hara from Dexie's Midnight Runners, um, which is a, she's a, she plays violin. Oh. Uh, so I knew, I knew she had a Wikipedia page. I don't think I knew I did. But anyway, sorry. I, I assume it's right. Hopefully. It says journalist, Helen O'Hara. Correct. Good. Yeah. Good start. It's got where you're born. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Quite detailed. And there's a whole bit about your career. There's a quote. But it says your earliest memory was seeing Return of the mm. Jedi at the cinema. Is that That's one of, I actually, I think my earliest cinema memory is actually Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. It was re-released. I wasn't around in yeah, 1937, just to be too. clear. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? That's my Yay. earliest cinema memory. I mean, my gran. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, I, my dad took me to that. I think probably, probably because my sister had just been born and they wanted me out of the house for a yeah. minute and give my mum some peace, I would imagine. But yeah, I was, so I was about three or four. So I was a bit younger, I think, when I saw that than... Jedi, but Jedi is one of my first cinema memories. Yes. Is that the first sequel sure. you remember seeing? Yes, yes, it would be. But I hadn't seen the original. I hadn't seen Star Wars and I hadn't seen Empire. So I ended up seeing Jedi in the cinema and then Star Wars on TV probably like a year later. Mm. And then it probably took a couple of years to see Empire. Like I was really, you know, excited to see it and like frustrated that I hadn't because we didn't have a VCR even in those days. Yeah. So. It took a little while, yeah. Did you still enjoy it? Did you understand what was going on? Or was it just, you know, little Ewoks? Yeah, I don't remember being confused. I mean, I don't know if my dad or somebody explained it to me or if I just sort of went with it. Yeah, sure. Empire, bad. Rebels, good. 
super on board. Yeah, <laughs> I watched it that way around as well, Return of the Jedi, and now it's it is my favorite Star Wars. I think it's underrated. Yeah. I think the people who claim that they didn't like the Ewoks even as children are liars. Mm-hmm. I genuinely, I've seen this, said this before, so apologies if I'm repeating myself, but I, I really, I just don't believe you. I, I really don't. So it's the most fun. Yeah, and that three way, you know. The three battles simultaneously at the end. Superb. Yeah. Absolutely superb. Rich, do you agree with this? Yeah. Or do you... I like Empire. <laughs> oh, look, look, I'm not saying no shame it's that. the... I'm not saying it's the best or anything of the three, but I think it's wildly underrated. That's, oh, that's yeah, my absolutely. take, basically. And I totally agree with you that people who, who didn't, don't like the Ewoks are either joyless, scary people that you want to avoid or a lion because they think it's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they think it's cool. This is it. They think it's cool. And, it, like, I'm just... I try not to define myself by not liking things, apart from, you know, Joker. Um, I, I try not to define, my, define myself that way because I think it's just a little bit immature. and Yeah, te- no one likes to be too bit, you know? negative, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get yeah. on to that later when we start being negative over things. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. So what was your pick for your best sequel? My, I think I picked uh, Last Crusade. Uh, which is funny because I forgot forgot that I'd given you an answer on that today, and I was thinking, oh, maybe it's fast forward, um, <laughs> because I, I am not consistent in my views in any way. But I, but Last Crusade is a good shout for this, I think, because I had seen the other two Indiana Jones mm. when I saw that. But being a young girl of a certain age, I was extremely excited to see you know River Phoenix in a in a Indiana Jones movie. That was pretty exciting, and and I loved that prequel section because at that point I was not bored to death of prequels and all who sail in them and uh, didn't find them a little bit unsatisfying in general not always obviously not all prequels hashtag not all prequels (laughs) but so many of them just like they don't need to exist whereas the one in in crusade okay doesn't need to exist but it's so charming and we hadn't seen that done before and it was like oh my god that's where he got his scar and he got his whip and he got his hat and that's funny and you know and it is and snakes and it is really funny as well that whole everyone's lost but me that's a great line it's so kind of young indiana jones who would then grow up to be you know something of an iconoclast i just i just think stuff like that is brilliant so so yes i love i love crusade i love the relationship with uh henry jones senior i i love the way that it it forces indy to kind of face up to his own bullshit a little bit i just think it's really witty and silly and fun but without losing what makes the character good you know so yeah yeah superb superb what makes that sequel so good that you can watch it straight off without seeing the other two yeah and and you'll know exactly what's going on in the character Mm -hmm. but it's also so good because of the other two yeah which makes last crusade in my opinion the best one Ooh, wow. wow. I'm a very weird man. Big, big claim. And like Return of the Jedi, I didn't watch them in order. I watched Temple of Doom okay. first. All right. So I stand by, I love Temple of Doom, and I think that's, that gets a bad rap. I also think that's, that gets a bad rap. I, I will say that, you know, the criticism of it in recent years has focused very much on the racism, which is a totally fair bad rap. I will 100% get behind that. But um, it, there was a period where it was kind of cool to, you know, you know, pile on to Temple of Doom and that I was not down with because I think there are incredible sequences in that. I think there's some terrifying stuff, absolutely yeah. terrifying stuff that is not in any of the others. And and I think it tries to do something different than the film that came before it, which is very much, you know, to its credit. I know that was a prequel, but it doesn't fall sequel to, you know, prequelitis. It's not like it's not trying to explain everything. It's not trying to fill in all the blanks. Like a like a solo is my is the kind of prequel I don't want. I don't want to know <laughs> 
how he did the Kessel Run. I don't want to know how he met Chewie. I just accept that that is a fact of mm. life, that they are together. And how he got his um, name so, is the worst part. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ex- oh, that was, no, that was absolutely dreadful. No, I don't like that. But even though everyone in the film was great, you know, people behind the film were great, but it was just such an unnecessary film that didn't need to exist. But yeah, but like a prequel in the sense of Temple of Doom, like it might as well be a sequel. Like there's no real difference. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't undo anything. I think the only reason was, you know, they didn't want to... They wanted a different love interest, but they didn't want to undo him and Marion because they realised that that's pretty great, which I think is the one good thing about that. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this fourth Indiana Jones film. I don't think it counts really as canon, no. but but people talk <laughs> about it with some effect. No, people don't talk about it with affection. But the the one good thing about it was was having Marion back because that was yeah. always such a great relationship. I absolutely love Indiana Jones. I, yeah. I, my, I, I really wanted to be an archaeologist when I was a kid because I wanted to be Indiana Jones. I had absolutely no <laughs> yeah. like, fascination with archaeology whatsoever, but a treasure hunter with a whip, <laughs> absolutely. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I, I, feel like, I feel like most people's first year of archaeology school is unlearning everything that Indiana Jones yeah. does. <laughs> absolutely. He's a terrible teacher as well. Always oh, an awful teacher. Oh, terrible, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was watching the other scene today when he's outside his office and he's got a massive queue and, and all uh-huh. I could think was that's because he's never there so they're trying to get their questions yep. in as much as possible while yep. he is there and then he jumps out the window anyway. In fairness, at least half of them were clearly also there to seduce him. Not just half, yeah, but at point. least half. But yeah, there were there were clearly some people there who had questions about their final grades and uh, were getting no answers whatsoever <laughs> as he jumped out the window. No, it's not very yeah. helpful. Uh, Rich, are you a big fan of Last Crusade? Would you say it's your favourite one out, out of the... Let's say I think three. it is my favourite, actually. I think it's my favourite out of the three. I'm, I'm not counting Crystal Skull. It doesn't count. No, I've no. never heard of it. Don't know what that no. nonsense is. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I do. I do like it. I, I, I like Sean Connery in it. I think he's absolutely brilliant in it. And, and yeah. apparently, a lot of his his best lines are kind of ad libbed as well. You know, like how uh, right. how all the best lines always yeah. are ad libbed. But the, the, apparently, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the when he's talking about Elsa, the his femme fatale, whether they slept together or not, and, and he goes, she talks in her sleep. <laughs> that line apparently that's improv that's that's wow. <laughs> that's not in the scripts wow you can tell that compared to some other Connery films that he's actually enjoying himself on yeah. this one like, you can exactly. see there's a twinkle in his eye that rarely pops up maybe through the Bond films and maybe the Highlander because it's a brilliant film and I won't hear anything about it <laughs> I mean it's a dreadful film but I love it is, I think, oh, the, I'm trying to make my wife watch it at the moment it's, it's the way I describe it she's like no <laughs> <laughs> no, but they cut each other's heads off. Yeah, funny. sweet, you'll love and it. The Queen did the soundtrack. It's great. The soundtrack is great. The, you know, the, the concept is great. The sequels are. There great. can only be one. But, you know, and yet there's four or five of them now. Plus TV spin-offs, <laughs> plural. Yeah. yeah, it's not right. But yeah, I would probably still watch a remake of that or a sequel again because I'm a loser. Let's <laughs> try and get back to Um Which sequences do you really enjoy in in Last Crusade? What really make works for you i mean kind of pick one i think they're all great i think that's you know it's really spielberg action cinema at its Mm. finest as far as i'm concerned so you know that opening desert chase train sequence i mean it's a freaking circus train because of course it is (laughs) you know it's 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 perfect that opening sequence i love it to death you know venice fantastic i mean when i went to venice once on a family holiday and i was just obsessed with finding that church And I was literally walking the streets of Venice just going, I mean, that, that church is kind of similar, but it's not the same church. And I didn't, it wasn't even like I'd re-watched the film. I was doing it all from memory. I did find the church. But yeah, I was obsessed with that. Like it just 
completely overtook my my visit to Venice. <laughs> and and then Petra, I still just would die to go to Petra. I just love mm. it. It's incredible. I, I just don't think it has a bum note. I think, the, you know, the performances are great. The comedy is off the chain. The I just love them. I just think there's such delicacy of touch and, and such a... I feel like it's one of those films where you see Spielberg just having fun yeah. and not having anything to prove and just, you know, delighting in what cinema can do. And, and, and it feels... If anything, more of a throwback than Raiders at some times. You know, it feels even more kind of elegant and and 1930s Mm. than Raiders. And it just, the texture of it, the dust stuff, the, the, you know, the the going over the cliff and then climbing back up to find his father mourning him. I mean, it's all brilliant. I just, I, I, yeah. No, no favorites. Love and it the all. John Williams score is just. Oh, I mean, at yeah. that point, it's just. It's 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 ridiculous. I love the chemistry between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. That's that's yeah. that's the, that's the real thing for me. Is you know that they they just have mm. that chemistry, don't they? They you really do believe that they could be father and son, and that they have this yeah. complicated kind of slightly Mickey takey relationship. Even though age yeah. difference is probably not that much. No, twelve years. Twelve years. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. Yeah, which is about the same as my beloved TV show Supernatural. Jeffrey Dean Morgan and his on-screen son uh, Jensen Ackles also have a twelve-year age gap. So there must be a magic number there somewhere. That must be what we what we need, I guess. I've never watched it. You never seen Supernatural, Dave? No, no one's ever seen. I think Rich has. I have. I I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching it today, and I realised they do a chase in every like mode of transport. Pretty much, there, yeah. There's a train, there's a car, there's a bike, there's mm. a boat, there's a plane. I couldn't... I, motorbikes as well. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I just... With the sidecar. They're just like, yep. what can we put in this film? And he's like, let's just put it all. Let's just get every... Just do it. And it, and it yep. all works brilliantly. I don't think there is a bum note, but is do you think there's a bum note at all? Anything you would change... I'd maybe have more than one woman character, you know yep, me. Yep. Uh, this is one of my bugbears, but I wouldn't change it i would just like in retrospect if we were making it now i'd maybe have a conversation about hey guys i don't know can we get some girls in here maybe just a thought <laughs> question mark love you kisses <laughs> xoxo XO, you know yeah. but yeah no i i don't know if there's a bum no i'm probably forgetting something horrific but i mean harrison ford's scottish accent maybe I, yeah. I, people seem to have strong opinions about that but it's comically bad so i'm kind of okay with yeah, that i don't think it's meant to be good no exactly um, it doesn't he do a bad irish accent in in the devil's own as well is that it's very difficult i will say it's very di- i don't isn't he isn't he american in I, that it's brackets, I, the, I mean it's been a while a northern irish accent in particular is is very very yeah. hard i think for outsiders to get and i am always impressed by the tiny minority of you know actors who can do it but there was somebody recently who did a pretty good one. But generally speaking, just just don't bother. Yeah. Just just don't. I can see Rich sweating because I like to do accents badly. Don't do any accents, Dave. No, do it, no. do it. Go for it. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're banned. <laughs> no, if I'm yeah, if I'm being with someone long enough, I start copying their accent, and I don't even realise I'm doing. I do that doing as well. Yeah. So that's yep. pretty bad. I think it's just a weird thing. So by the t- end of this, I might be doing it, but. <laughs> Uh, Rich, do you enjoy anything anything in particular about Last Crusade that stands out for you? I learned recently, by, from watching the episode of QI, the, the, the cup. So this is the one where they drink for the cup, is it? Was that, the, yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. The, grail the grail wouldn't have been a cup. So a grail was a serving dish. So actually it would have been ah. like a plate. So that's the, they actually did it on QI where they got them, they said, choose the, choose the right cup. 
and uh, also they chose the couple of carpenters. <laughs> and then did they say you have chosen, <laughs> you have chosen yeah, poorly? poorly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and see, yeah. I haven't watched it for a long time, and all my Indiana Jones movies kind of blur into one slightly as well. But uh, I was mm. watching Dogma with my wife the other day, and uh, there's a bit mm-hmm. where Silent Bob throws throws one of the angels, Barbara or Loki, I can't remember which, off of the train and says, "No ticket." And I was like, "That's Indiana Jones." Hey. <laughs> Well, I don't think yeah. it's this one, is it? Is it the first one? Uh, is yeah, it is one? there. That's in this yeah, one, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, they're trying to escape yeah. from Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the, the blimp. blimp. On the blimp. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. ticket. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> ticket. Yeah, this one has so many of the best lines. I think, was it a Tom Stoppard polish on the script? It was somebody like that did the polish on the script, and you can you can feel it in that kind of line. It's super yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's wonderful to watch. It's a great run time. Anything under two hours, I'm a big fan of. <laughs> <laughs> Cynical, How much but yes. did George Lucas have involvement in this movie? Was this was this the because Indy's kind of his thing, wasn't it? It was both of them, I think, sitting on a beach in Hawaii, waiting for the Star Wars uh, Star Wars first weekend box office to come rolling in. And Indy was a dog's name, famously George Lucas's dog. But I think it was all always a bit of both. And I think you know by this point in the franchise, I think there's a lot more Spielberg. You know, maybe I'm being cynical, but I think there's a lot more Spielberg here than Lucas, mm. just because it feels so much of his preoccupations and you know he he I don't know if he still does but I've certainly heard in the past that he rewatches Lawrence of Arabia before starting shooting on every single film he does and you can kind of almost feel it a bit here there's those kind of establishing shots especially in the you know in Jordan and Egypt mm. and so on you 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 can kind of feel that and uh yeah so if it feels to me more Spielberg than yeah. even the first Do you one. think they always plan to make a sequel then stop and make no more because at, at the end of this one, it feels like a point where they could stop, and that was about it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they could have stopped any time, but but certainly, you know, I'm glad it was a series because it you know was based on all those old serials, and it feels right that it would yeah. be. So I'm I kind of like this is this is one where it doesn't feel like selling out at all. It feels like it that's correct. That is the right mm. choice, and and equally, I I am okay if they stop here and never make another indiana jones film as it turns out i hope for the best for indy, indy 5 i don't know why they're calling it that since there's never been an indy 4 but you know <laughs> weird but I, I really do hope for the best and i really hope it's magnificent yeah. um but, but i don't know that i need it mm. after this because it feels you're right it feels like this one brings it to some kind of close it if if crystal skull had been better and had had marion and indy end up together that would have felt really satisfying but that film isn't satisfying. It no, just isn't. So. I, I lost it with Crystal Skull when uh, Indy didn't die in a fridge, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like, that was like the first if, scene, mate. If we all knew, we could all... Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. If only we'd all known that we could escape a nuclear war by climbing in a fridge. Oh, who'd, have th- who'd have thought it? <laughs> I mean, just a quick just a quick exposure. It'd give you a little bit. It's fine. It's totally fine. But yeah, it's not... Yeah, it's not not the best choice ever. Yeah, I've, when the, a film ends with your heroes riding off into the sunset, I think mm. that's a good time. I think that's a good yeah yeah. yeah. You can just sign it off there. That's pretty. That's you yeah. know boom you're done. done. Yeah, you don't need to do any more really. <laughs> no, your work here is literally done. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
like what mm-hmm. film do you think is so perfect that has sequels that you, they didn't need it so they could have stopped at that point like indie four four no need it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh so like just don't yeah get like more after that. they should have stopped at jaws one they should have stopped at jaws one that's 100 percent correct yes they should have stopped at transformers one actually apart from maybe bumblebee that would have been shouldn't have made super transformers good. one at all um, <laughs> i quite like transformers, like transformers one and the only the only thing i love in the rest is basically the effects work. There is a there is a supercut or was a supercut online of all the transformations in the Transformers films, and those things are gorgeous. Yeah. Like ILM did superb, superb work on those those robots. So I would, if I could, keep those bits and just lose everything else about the sequels, which were dreadful. Highlander, I would leave it at only one. Yeah. There can only be one. <laughs> like there there can be only one. It's that the is literally in the title, so or in the description. So just. Leave it there. Shh, stop. Okay. I think a lot of films are like that. Terminator 2 was the, was the ending point. Mm. And nothing since has really lived up to that. Aliens, maybe? Yeah. I mean, there was maybe a point of just stopping. And, and similarly, I probably would have stopped at one Predator. I know Predator 2 has its fans. I respect you as people. I don't think it's a patch yeah, on the original. It starts to get silly, doesn't it? That's the, that's the thing. And... Because yeah, yeah. I remember watching Predator as a kid and being genuinely frightened. And then by the time you get to, to, to some of the later sequels, you're like, this is just ridiculous. It's not... It's, it's one of these things like, I think the, the original has just enough mythology. You get this idea of it being a trophy hunter, it being a outside force coming in. Uh, there being some kind of maybe sense of honour or ritual about that, but not a lot. But you get a tiny bit of that. But when they get into all that in the later films, and especially the Alien vs. Predator, oh. you're a bit like, oh, just give it a rest, mate. Calm down. Absolutely. He still kills people. That's not. I'd say it makes money, but I don't yeah. even think those films really make their money back at the moment. I mean, about... not a huge amount. And I talk, think. Yeah, and talking about films that shouldn't have a sequel, I think this leads on to your worst ever sequel, quite nicely. What was your pick for this? Yeah, there's probably a few I could have put in here. So I picked in Independence Day Resurgence um, just because I'd watched it again recently, I think, when we talked. Because it was on Disney Plus on when they got yeah. the Star Channel or whatever. And I thought, you know what? Maybe maybe I was harsh, you know? Maybe it's <laughs> fine. And I don't think I was harsh ah. and I don't think it is fine. So, so yeah, so I went for that because I really genuinely adore the original Independence Day. I saw it in the cinema. Oh, it was on. such a blast, literally and figuratively. You know, and we kind of hadn't seen anything like that before. And, you know, Roland Emmerich has been called the master of disaster deservedly because I feel like he has successfully done, you know, destroyed the planet several times and has done it in different and more or less interesting ways. I think Day After Tomorrow, pretty good. 2012, pretty bad, but at least, you know, different looking. But the, but Independence Day remains like his gold standard. Like it's it's stunning. It's absolutely brilliantly done. That, that kind mm. of 45 minute build up where there's just a sense of something coming and building is is perfect. And then the massive wave of destruction around the world and all these cities just, you know, vanishing. It's incredibly well done. It's so good. And you don't even mind that they somehow take down an alien computer system with a Mac. Like, fine. Totally buy it. Yeah, I'm on board. So so I just think it's great. And then Independence Day Resurgence comes along and it's like the recent Godzilla and Kong movies where they've tried to up the ante up and up and up and up. And they've thrown 
an enormous amount of acting talent at the screen and given them nothing whatsoever worth acting to do. So, you know, so many human characters in this film with so little to do. And it's incredibly frustrating to me. And if you had, you know, pared that down to about five main characters, I think you actually might have had something here. Although even then, you still would have some problems because, you know, Asia is wiped off the face of the earth and no one mentions it again. (laughs) You know, that's not cool. And this is one of my bugbears with with blockbuster filmmaking. Like, this is one of the many reasons that I really hated X-Men Apocalypse is you, you can't wipe out cities and make make like it's not a big deal. That's not okay. And like, they literally wipe out a continent and they, they act like it's fine. I think it's actually Asia and all the way over to Europe. Like they basically just turn everything 3, upside down. 3,000 hours wide, that ship apparently. And at one point the bird is right? crashing, in, it crashing just... into the London eye. So I'm not quite sure the science yeah. behind it. Because so I think the idea is that they, it basically it has its own gravity, we're told, so it basically lifts up the cities of Asia and sort of drops them, I guess, on the Middle East and then lifts up the Middle East and drops it on Europe or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it also <laughs> isn't okay to wipe out most of the globe and not mention yeah, it because America's all right. Like, that's... And, and I know that Roland Emmerich, like, he is obviously German originally. Like, he, he does have a sort of slightly... I think, satirical take on American, you know, hoorah, rayness. I don't know. He, he has a he has a take on it, but it doesn't come across here. And I think it kind of did in the original because you had the world being saved by a black man and a Jew. And that's not accidental. I think that's very, very deliberate. In this one, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that he's saying anything. And I think that's what's really frustrating about it. So, yeah, I, I, I don't like it. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen it before we, oh, before really? the, we sort of prepped for this to podcast today i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah you should be it was terrible oh no <laughs> and um yeah, it, it's just a there's a massive will smith size hole in that film yeah. there's there's yeah. Yeah. so little charisma on show and whether mm. where there is where there is where there are nice bits like they're just not enough you, you absolutely hit the nail no, on the head with not the, even close you know they just waste the acting talent they have and some of it's just ridiculous so, so like, mm-hmm. how could you have Jeff Goldblum in your film and use him for about eight seconds? It feels like use him so little. And um, oh Christ, I've forgotten. Her name. Oh, Char- Charlotte it? Gainsbourg. Um, What's she doing in that film? It's great. Yeah, Charlotte Gainsbourg. You don't cast Is her right? and have her do nothing. What? What the hell? This is absolutely outrageous. And you know, you have this whole sort of weird. I can't decide if I think it's wildly patronising or, you know, that they were at least trying something with good intentions. I'm, I'm really not sure. But this whole idea that this, you know, African nation has essentially been fighting the aliens in a guerrilla war um, ever since. That, that's cool. And then they do pretty much nothing with that in the FNAF. Mm. Give me that film. Yeah. yeah but, but it just... It kind of doesn't go anywhere. So, you know, again, I think he's trying to do some stuff. You know, the fact that Brent Spiner's scientist is is revealed to be gay and, and he and his husband have a kind of lovely little uh, couple of moments. I, I think that's really that. sweet. Is that bad? Oh, yeah. No, he's yeah, he's 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 his husband and he's, he's they're, they're nice together. But so I think he's he's trying to do a little bit the same thing again. That Oh, look, it's the it's the gay couple who saved the world. And there is a little bit of that in there. Yeah. But there's so little. That it doesn't oh. come through. He was in a coma for 25 years before he woke up. Right? 20 years, yes. Where's his muscle mm-hmm. atrophy? That's, that really annoyed me. I was like, he's running around Look, after about blah, two blah, seconds. Blah. 
We're just going to assume that alien tech meant yeah. that they could do with the thing with the mm, stimulating the muscles. That's your biggest fine, issue with this film, Rich. Then. I don't know. It's not my biggest issue. Yeah. It just really annoyed me at the time. I think my biggest issue in it is that the hero in this film kind of should be like Patricia Whitmore, should be the president's daughter. That's what it felt like to mm. me. And then as soon as she got close to being the hero, we had to have like like baby Thor come and save her instead. Cut back yeah, to Liam absolutely. Hemsworth or yeah. something, yeah. And yeah. yeah, it just I don't know. It just didn't work. It didn't really work for me. I think it's I think it's a it's one of these examples of sequelitis, you know, trying to do everything the same as last time but bigger. Mm. And I think that actually doesn't really work and you're better trying to do something different yeah. and fresh and an original. So for example, if they had had, if this had been, let's say, you know, same, similar setup, you know, it's a generation later, Earth has adopted this alien technology, armed themselves, started kind of reinforcing the solar system against alien incursion. And then some aliens turn up, but it turns out to be the good aliens. So you could have like first half is basically them going mm. to war against the wrong people. And then everybody realizing that okay, we're not actually that alien species from the first film. Then that alien species turns up. Then you've got a different story because you've now got people coming together. Like it that might have worked. It almost does that. Th- there it? are probably like ways it, to do this. Almost. It tries yeah, to do that. Quite. <laughs> tries. But it doesn't commit. And it basically tries to set that up as the ball, sequel right? to this. With yeah. the big golf ball. Yeah. So I... Mm, I do, and again, just, just half as many human characters if your human characters are not the point as they aren't in something like this or something like godzilla versus kong then you need to have few enough of them to focus on and then they need to be really good they need to be really really good you need a charisma machine like goldblum like smith even like uh bill pullman like you need somebody who is that you know g uh, or shucks and likable in his case and then you have the disposable lesser characters around them but you need those focuses to make it work and this film doesn't have it doesn't anyone even have who could really pull focus like, like the first one does it's it's so forgettable no. like no, i watched it, it two days ago and i can't mm. remember a thing but i could pretty much tell you everything that happens in Independence Day. what i watched in 96 yeah and absolutely it, it, it has scenes like the white house blowing up you think fuck that was that was amazing to watch oh, and will smith incredible. just oozing yeah. charisma like left right and center and then you get to this one you're like there was another alien ship and it was bigger which is bigger it's bigger therefore mm-hmm. scarier um, yeah and they bring back goldblum's dad again for some reason and make the, him the hero yeah yeah give i mean again that, that i like him i yeah. really love him in the first one i think he's great uh you know he's not not doing anything wrong in this one the whole idea that he ends up in tar- in charge of a busload full of kids is cute but there's too much on going on around them and we don't need this one gigantic alien chasing him and the bus full of kids to have tension you know there should be enough going on that we care and and the fact that it takes that for us to make us care is is bad filmmaking i think so yeah look it's not it's not the worst roland emmerich film i i still haven't forgiven him for anonymous which i hate with with the fire of a thousand suns because shakespeare wrote the works of shakespeare and i'm not here for any argument on that but it's 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 pretty bad this is this is worse Mm. i think than 2012 it's significantly worse than Day After Tomorrow and uh, and worse than Godzilla love, 98, which love I quite Godzilla like. I just, right I just... Right? Where's I my sequel? Underrated. I'm still waiting yeah. for it. This also leaves it open <laughs> for a sequel at the end. And I, I yeah. guess they had intentions yeah. to move forward with a, a trilogy because at, at one point, if I'm not mistaken, they actually announced that it was going to be 
this was going to be two films. It was going to be called Independence Day Forever 1 and 2 at some point. Yeah, it's, it's one of those endings of a film that sets up a sequel it absolutely hasn't earned and you don't want by the time you've watched it. And, and I feel like it's a real, again, it's a problem of sequelitis in Hollywood. There was a period there where everybody was trying to make everything a sequel. I mean, I remember they announced that Smurfs was going to be a trilogy. That was the moment where I <laughs> sort of slightly lost the will to live. Like, I think they announced it before making oh, the first one, but mad. certainly before making the second one, it's, Smurfs is going to be a trilogy. And, and you know, look, there are times where it's good to have a an idea of where you want to go. But the problem is a lot of the time where people have this roadmap before the first film comes out, it's a sign that they haven't focused enough on telling a great story first time around. And you need to do that first. That needs to be your one and only yeah. priority when making the first film. And if in the editing room at some point you have an idea for film number two, more power to you. But you should not be building film number one around that because it is, it's it's presumptuous, and I think that the audience can sense it and mm. and, and now we're left with this this film that promises a third and never gets it, and that winds me up no end. Mm-hmm. Do you, yeah. Where do you think they would have gone? Would we have seen the alien planet? I think it was going to be a maybe actually, but I think it was definitely going to be this alien sort of multi-alien civilization on their kind of haven world. Uh, coming to join up with Earth and f- take the fight to the aliens. I assume that would have been it. And and do you know what? There is a lot to be said for that. Like, there are some great, great sci-fi novels out there that are about, you know, alien civilizations, plural, coming together to mm. fight a great threat. And that hasn't really been done in cinema. Like, not in good cinema, anyway. It's been done on some, you know, last starfightery type things. But, you know, I'm talking about alien-looking aliens teaming up with humanity to take down bad aliens that is not something we've seen a million times and not led by Liam Hensworth and not um, no I mean bring you know Will Smith would be great please the thanks. way they killed That's him okay. off in this can they, couldn't they have left him alive just in case I know there's no way there's no way he wouldn't have been there there's two rumours that either one he priced himself out of it or and two mm. he was too busy doing Suicide Squad so I would have given him the, yeah. the world to be in this movie I think they should, yeah. have, they yeah. should have tried harder did you go to the press screening <sighs> of this you know what? I don't even really remember. I, I must have done. I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, but it like it hasn't left a, an impression. No, I just imagine what, what, what the I mean? feeling in the room after is when a film like that, what you know, you've been waiting for twenty odd years for, and then the lights come up afterwards, and everyone looks at each other and thinks, "That was not good, was it?" No. Yeah. It, it's it's a real like deflating feeling in the, in those moments because you know I know people like think critics hate films and it's it's the exact opposite like we're, we're in this game because we love movies and so yeah coming into something like that which a lot of us have so much affection for the original and just seeing that result is always is always kind of a disappointment we are believe it or not rooting for every single filmmaker to make greatness mm. like that genuinely would make me so happy because nobody sets out to make a bad movie and every single movie no matter how tiny is the result of you know, dedicated work by at least dozens and usually hundreds of people. So you want it to be great and you want to love it. And and it's kind of always painful when you don't. Yeah. So, What is the most disappointed you've ever been with a sequel? So the original was so good. And then you've come, you're like, I can't wait to watch blah, blah. And it was disappointing. Not bad, just disappointing. Just disappointing. I mean, honestly, this is one of those... I feel like there were a few that summer, and I'm now blanking on what all the other ones were, but that particular summer, there were several of these kind of movies, like big, big, much-anticipated movies that just came out and went, eh. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, Suicide Squad, obviously, not a sequel, but that was one of them. But, I mean, there have been uh, X, some of the X-Men films. Maybe Apocalypse, actually. I know I've mentioned it already, but that's why it's in my head. But, you know, I love X-Men. I love X-Men 2. So X-Men 3 hurt. Yeah, that was that was bad. Uh, and then, you know, First Class I didn't love, but Days of Future Past, oh my God, adored. And then Apocalypse and then Dark Phoenix. And I just... mm. Such a roller coaster, isn't it, the X-Men films? Mm. It really is. It really is. And I think, you know, they're... There's so much to work with in the comics and they're so beloved. And yet, I think certain bits of it, they have real trouble really nailing. And and weirdly, you know, what's kind of frustrating is X-Men 3 and X-Men Dark Phoenix have the same problems both times. So it's it's a bit like, did did you not learn anything from the first one? Because you're doing it again. You're making Jean Grey's story all about Professor X. (laughs) Why are you doing that? Mm. Why? It's not his story. It's hers. What's happening? Stop it. Ah! <laughs> Different filmmakers. They should have it probably says something more about where my I am in my life at the moment, Dave. But as soon as you said that question, I was like, Cars 2. Just, it's, it's Cars really? 2. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but just the existence of Cars was pretty upset. No, that's not fair. Cars, I actually gave a pass to you. You're right. Cars Awful. 2 was a massive uh, step down. Because Cars, I didn't love... But I think the animation in that film is some of the best Pixar had ever done at that hmm, point. Like the, the detail is is gorgeous. But yeah, Cars 2 was just like a silly car movie, like a cartoon. Yeah. And I'm not, not used to Pixar making cartoons. They make animated films. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the you one know. where it tries to turn into a spy film. Yeah, it? it's terrible. Yeah, it's it terrible. does. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's really bad. And I've watched it about a hundred times because my little boy was obsessed with it. So oh, yeah, dear. I've unfortunately seen it so often. <laughs> I don't even remember what happened in Cars 3. I literally can't remember a single Cars thing about Cars 3 it. could have been so, really good. The premise is The quite one good. when he's old and there's a young whippersnapper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, New yeah, yeah. New technology yeah. Right, and he has does... to go and do the Rocky montage up in the mountains. Or yeah, that that rings a vague bell. I, I'm just not really here for Cars movies. Um, luckily, my nephew is really into robots. Uh, so Wally was the uh, one he watches on repeat. So, yeah, we're trying to encourage would that. Would you watch a sequel to that? Yeah, in a heartbeat. Okay. Yeah. I thought, they, I thought you said, have I you think watched there's a sequel for me then? Everyone was like, there's a sequel to Wally? <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's another? Um, yeah, I would watch that in a minute. I, I, I think the only Pixar movies that absolutely should never, ever, ever have a sequel are Up and Inside Out, which are perfect mm. as they are and, and, and stand very much alone. And possibly in retrospect, Monsters Inc. and Finding Nemo, which both of which have fine sequels, but they're just not a patch on the originals, which are which are perfect. Yeah. What do you think makes a bad sequel, and what makes a good sequel? Mm. What like what do you need to like? Do you need a, a good cast? Yeah. Uh, a decent script would yeah. help. I, I think guess. script is the big one that sequels fall down on. So, I think what you need is to have really thought about why you're there apart from make more money, right? So leaving that aside, let's all assume that's on the table, but let's ignore that. Why else are you there? And what else is there really to explore about these characters, this situation, this world, whatever? And the ones I really admire most are the ones that try and do something different to the first film. So the, you know, the the classic is Alien versus Aliens. You're not going to make a better space-based horror than Alien. No one has in the time since. So what do you do? You make it the greatest space-based action movie that anyone's ever made, basically. That's how you do it. That's how you justify your existence. If you're, you know, if it's something like a a Star Wars, then great, you continue the story. You have an epic struggle. What's the next stage in this epic struggle? Fine. 
some of those even make the same mistake of just trying to do what they did before that worked and just bigger. That's always where they fall down. You know, you have to find a new reason to exist and a new way to explore this world, which is one of the reasons that people kind of complaining about quote unquote woke, wokeness in movies are wrong. Because one of the ways that you can kind of open up the world and explore the world in a different way and make it feel different and make it feel particular is by casting different kinds of people and having different life experiences kind of feed into that story. So that's why I know it didn't end up being brilliant, but on paper, they did everything right with Ghostbusters 2016. That was exactly the approach to take. It's a new generation of extremely funny people from SNL, exactly the same as the last lot, but oh, look, they happen to be women. And so that gives you something different to work with. And that would have been great if it was like, 15% 15% mm. funnier, you know? So mm. so I feel like you need to have a really, really good idea of why you're there. And I think that's why the Harry Potter sequels work. It's why the Marvel Cinematic Universe works. It's because they know what they're trying to do with each different film. And they have a clarity mm. to that that I think very few sequels have. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's the I big think idea. Also, if there's a big gap yeah. between the original film, the sequel, like mm. there was with, the, with Independence Day respect yeah. the fans of the original film and don't try not to do the cheeky little wink and nod things back because they just come across as ridiculous you know try and not and it's if you're gonna do yeah. it if you're gonna do it yeah do it knowingly rather than kind of in a, mm. in a kind of cheesy way you know i i I don't think I'm getting across what I mean very well, but <laughs> are you saying you don't like films that have like a thirty-year gap? No, no, it's, it's fine. No, I have watched Coming to America too. Actually, I think it's fine to have a, a to have a a thirty-year gap, but don't do a Coming to America too, where basically all you do is go, "Wasn't the first one great? Wasn't the first one so funny?" and don't exactly. do anything new in your in your. Yeah. Sequel. It has to, yeah. It has to, it has to feel fresh, and I think that's comedy sequels in particular. The great comedy sequels can be counted on one hand. I mean, it is so difficult to do a genuinely great comedy sequel. Like Zoolander failed, Anchorman failed, uh, Coming to America failed. Like they, it's it's almost impossible. Even something like Airplane Two, which has its fans. Come on, it's not even close to Airplane, and don't try to tell me otherwise. So I'm actually struggling to think of a good sequel to a comedy, and I can't. I did can't think of one recently, and it's gone out of my head. I'm thinking, I'm thinking Blues Brothers, <laughs> awful Hangovers. I didn't hate good. the Blues Brothers 2000, but yeah, it's not it's not a patch on the original. I, I didn't hate it because the music's yeah, really good, so I was kind of there. You know? I oh, like yeah. uh, Friday and Next Friday. The, the the I think that's okay. <laughs> Fair enough. That, that works for me. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there are I'm going to get as soon as I get off the line I'm going to think of others there are a couple that have done it but so few it is so yeah. difficult and that's because you need a bit of transformation to really make your sequel work and you can't just blow up a bigger city Roland Emmerich you need to give us another reason to be there and that's that's tricky and it's tough and it's not just the filmmakers or the screenwriters they may well have all of these ideas I'm sure they did and then you get the studio heads going, no, but it needs mm. to be like the first. And they are yeah. wrong yeah. on that. They are absolutely and your 100% need wrong. need to have grown. Like, you can't be mm-hmm. just, just, you know, just have grayer hair, you know? <laughs> yes. No, 100%. Every single Shrek film, including the half-hour specials, have him wanting to be on his own and then realising that other people are okay. <laughs> Every single Shrek movie. Like... Get a new story a little bit. 
I, I know that's a thing for him and I know people can get stuck in a rut and still have to learn the same thing over and over again. But also, why not learn something new? <laughs> I would say Shrek 2 is better than Shrek 1. Is that, is that, does that work? Was that the is one that where he becomes a handsome prince? Yeah, that was funny. Yes. That was pretty good. It did. That was funny. I just, it, it was, it was one of those sequels where there's a lot of good stuff, but again, there's a, a few too many characters for me. I, I, I really like my films kept very elegant and simple. And I feel like if you're <laughs> going to have a huge number of characters in your film, it better be Endgame and you better have spent 23 films establishing them all. What was your pick for the dream sequel? So my pick was a sequel to The Princess Bride called Buttercup's Baby. Uh, and the reason for this is if you read the book of The Princess Bride, if you read certainly the uh, quote unquote 25th anniversary edition or later, you will find a chapter at the end, which is chapter one of Buttercup's Baby, a book that has not actually, in fact, been written. Um, and the chapter is called The Death of Fezzik, which is very upsetting in, in, immediately. And it's a great, great story. And you're just like, I need I need more, more. I must have it. And so. So, yeah, I would I would love 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 to see that but i would be extremely picky about it and i don't know like i don't know if there's anything more out there if william goldman ever wrote more and left it in a desk drawer or something if one of his family will one day find it and publish it i would 100 percent be here to read it but you know i would i would absolutely love to see more princess bride because it is one of my all-time favorite films and i think if you got the original cast maybe doing voice work and then animated it i think Ooh, it could be pretty special because I don't want to recast any of them. I mean, you know, I can hear the arguments for recasting. Like someone the other day suggested that Tom Hiddleston would make a fine uh, man in black. And that's true. However, he is not ultimately the man in black, you know. So while he would be very good in the role, the role is in fact Carrie Elwes's and always should be. So I would I would quite like to see an animated version of, of that. And uh, I think it could be cool. What happens in that chapter? About well, so basically, I mean, obviously the whole kingdom is after them as they escape. So they have to, you know, sort of ride through the night. They end up getting themselves onto an island that is surrounded by whirlpools, basically. So no one can come and get them, um, which gives right. them all a bit of time to kind of relax and recuperate. And Buttercup has a baby and Fezzik becomes the baby's nursemaid. And they live there for several years. And the baby, you know, Fezzik is devoted to the kid and the kid is likewise devoted to Fezzik because of course of course they are and then there comes a time when the the, the baddies are coming to get them basically and they have to escape up a mountain uh, or rather Fezzik is escaping up the mountain while the others I think try to get Inigo and the you know the Dread Pirate Roberts and the ship Revenge to come back mm. and, and rescue them and and Fezzik ends up separated from the group and is chased basically to the top of the mountain and the only way to get Buttercup the, or the baby to safety is basically to jump off and cushion the baby's fall with his own body and it's just like I can't even it's very upsetting but um, but yeah that's that's sort of the opening chapter wow. of the book so you've got all these baddies after our little gang and them desperately trying to escape with the kid in tow when dave mentioned this to me as your as your your sequel yeah. the first thing that came into my head is we need a middle-aged fred savage reading this to peter folk in his nursing <laughs> home oh my god <laughs> that, this is this is how it needs to go oh god wouldn't it be wonderful <laughs> wouldn't it be wonderful but yeah absolutely fred savage reading it to to his kid would be amazing absolutely amazing yeah that would be a, a good place to start it. Yeah. and who would do the music because mark knopfler did the original which i found out when I was yeah who, yeah would you let mark back in or would you is there another person i mean think? uh i i mean yes probably i don't know uh i you could maybe get 
you know, somebody to judge it up a bit, but I think you, you start from there probably. So if he wanted to come back, great. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of really good composers around right now. I feel like Daniel Pemberton would do some cool stuff with it. I feel like he'd yeah. he'd kind of mix it up a bit. I think that would be quite cool. But I, yeah, I'm not fussy. You know what? I just want to see it. No, no, no offense to anybody, but I just I just demand that it be made immediately. Thank you. So is the Princess Bride your? I don't film? have exactly just one. I, I don't feel the need for a Tuesday. Is it your <laughs> for a Tuesday? Sure, for, for for a Tuesday. But actually, I mean, Cyrano de Bergerac is really high up there. The '91 version, '90. Nine, ninety, ninety-one, one of those. Ninety-one, I think. That's really, really high on my list. I love that. His Girl Friday uh, with Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant is sublime. Nice. Obviously, a, a certain number of Marvel films would be high up the list for me as well. But yeah. Um, oh, and Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, Gentlemen Fair Blondes. Yeah. But but The Princess Bride is high, high on the list. I, I feel like we do not talk enough. And I've said this on the Emperor podcast, so apologies for repeating myself, anybody. But we don't talk enough about Rob Reiner's run in the 80s. We do not give it enough respect. Would you bring him back to the right direction? I'd have him involved in some way. He'd probably work with an animation director, I guess. But yes, he should absolutely be involved in it. Um, but yeah, just like, you know, what, what was that? Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, Princess Bride... When Harry Met Sally, I'm forgetting something. The Sure Thing, I think, is in there as well. Ugh, what a run. What an incredible, incredible run. And he went on yeah. to um, uh, A Few Good Men at the start of the 90s as well in the, the American President. We don't talk about North, but the rest. Holy shit. What a guy. I really enjoyed North when I was little. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I don't know why. I think because I was just that age. I thought, I want to go get rid of the parents. And if they're listening, love him. <laughs> and just do what he did. But. But yeah, do you get annoyed when people say they don't? You don't, they don't like? I Princess I Bride? I just don't believe them. I just think that's a ridiculous thing to say. Come on, come on, be sensible. Come on, seriously, seriously, but rich, rich. Do I you don't like Princess it as Bride? much as Helen does. But um, I... <laughs> <laughs> good answer. But no, it's good charming. Answer. How can you not like it? Like you know, it's it's yeah. a completely charming film, and it's it's got Andre the Giant in it. You know, <laughs> I mean, what more do you He's want? He's great. Do you know what? Do you know what? It's it's funny. So I I had a, a boyfriend at one point that I decided to. He'd never seen the Princess Bride, which obviously was not going to stand. Right, that was not acceptable mm-hmm, to me. Mm-hmm. And so I insisted that we we sit down one night and watch it. And he was doing. He was literally doing the Fred Savage thing. He was literally going, "Is this a kissing film?" <laughs> um, he's like, "Why why do you have me watching this rom com?" And what was hilarious was every time he would get to the point of saying something like that. Fred Savage would cut in <laughs> to the film Amazing. and say exactly essentially what he Brilliant. had just said and um, and completely undermine him. And I just think that that brought home to me really how smart this film is and how expertly crafted it is in terms of it gets you exactly at the point where you're about to be cynical and it cuts the legs out from under you and you're right back in it. It's it's brilliant. What a movie. I've never really thought about that. I, I, I I watched it the weekend. I thought Stardust oh, owes yeah. this so much. Oh yeah, much. Stardust. Yeah, hundred percent. Literally just yeah ripped it off. In I, I feel like I mean I like Stardust. I, I literally just watched it on Sunday night. Actually, weirdly. Yeah, it's great. And uh, I, 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 do, I think rip off is harsh, but I do think it's the, it's the closest it's come to having that tone. I think ever since and that kind of self awareness and kind of knowingness and humour that this has. I, mm. It's a really particular blend, and it's pretty much impossible to replicate and people have tried and they've generally failed i mean something like el enchanted charming but in a very different way shrek funny but in a very different way you know this is this is really special and um and yeah almost unique so i would of course make it less unique (laughs) by making a sequel 
What, what would you do about the characters that have passed away, sadly, like Andre the Giant? Would you recast their voice or would you mm. delve back into, um, well, whatever the films and try and... Try and, try and judge it a bit. Or, or is there a voice in your head that, that could No, I that? think... I mean, it would be difficult. I think that if, if the, that first chapter is indeed how the story goes and if Fezzik does indeed die, you probably... I know it'd be really upsetting, but you probably could get away with not having to recast it and just reminding people how much they loved Andre the Giant without having a voice really for that mm. character because I think you could do that wordlessly with him and a little baby or little kid. So that, I think, would be all right. I think everybody else is still with us at the moment. The people who survived the last film, yes. Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think so. so I, I would, you know, hopefully they would all be up for it. But They, they did a live table they read They did, last year, yeah. They? Amazing stuff. Isn't there, didn't they do kind of like a 2020 version? Is that a... Mm. I think there was a Quimby yeah, like, lockdown. Yeah, a Chris Pine, I think, vo- voicing yeah, Man in Black, which is, again, you know, good casting. Pat really Oswald good casting. And stuff it's like good that. casting, but it's not... Mm. Panels will be really good. Was he Vizzini? He'd be he really was, good yeah. as Vizzini. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Smart casting. So yeah, I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not, I would prefer the animated route with the original cast. If you can, yep. you know, maybe you can convince me. Obviously I'm the one you have to convince mm. and not the rights holders and, or the studio. I, I could be open to being convinced by, by a new cast of sufficient quality. But really, I, I kind of just want the originals, yeah. Yeah, would you take a sequel? Oh, God, yeah. No, don't ever touch it. it. There are certain films that you are not allowed to remake. So Casablanca, you are not allowed to yeah. remake it. Even if you are Pamela Anderson and you're going to call it barbed wire. No, <laughs> no more Casablanca. Thank you. There, you know, I wouldn't... T- well, actually, His Girl Friday has been remade multiple times with new technology. And I think actually we're, we're due another His Girl Friday. So that one I'm, I'm sort of open to. But, you know, some of my other favourites, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Perfect As It Is, Don't You Dare. The Apartments, Some Like It Hot, Perfect As They Are, Don't You Dare. I mean, anybody stepping into uh, to Jack Lemmon's shoes should step straight Absolutely. back out again. That is not okay. No one else in the world could strain pasta with a tennis racket oh, in the way the that Jack Lemmon does. I mean, like it's <laughs> that scene, that scene is just a miracle. That scene is so beautiful. I love it. So yeah, there are certain things you you cannot touch. Um, And for me, The Princess Bride is 100% one of those. I get that. I totally get it. Because there are lines from The Princess Bride that I knew before I knew they were from The Princess Bride. (laughs) And that's a sign of a great movie, right? Is that it enters the culture without you even realising it. It's osmosis into, into your life. I have been to quote along screenings of it at the Prince Charles Cinema here in London, and uh, and it's brilliant. It's it's the whole place just chorusing out, you know, the the scene, the, the poison scene, basically in unison. Some people tried to talk during the film, which was obviously not okay because it's a quote along, not a talk along. But um, but yeah, it's brilliant. brilliant. And that was the unequal sequels of the wonderful Helen O'Hara. Dave, did you enjoy that one? I really enjoyed that chat. I can't believe she said yes to it, actually, to be fair to it. (laughs) Um, Because I've been listening to Helen for so long on the Empire podcast. It was great. It was quite surreal for me because I'm quite a fan, quite a bit of a fanboy. So, yeah, that was great. I really enjoyed it. She's got absolutely impeccable taste in movies. Yeah. Right. It's just just fantastic, and I, you know, so knowledgeable. It's absolutely brilliant. If you enjoyed listening to the podcast, then check out the the Empire Film podcast that Helen does, uh, and also try and pick up her book, The Women versus Hollywood. 
book, which is a really good read. Um, Dave, have you finished it yet? Yes, it's very good. Yeah, it's excellent. I've got it on audiobook, so I'm trying to listen to it. If you enjoyed this very podcast, there is more coming. You can find us on Twitter at Unequal Sequel. Podcasts will be up on all your favourite podcasting platforms. Please give it a like and subscribe. This is episode one, so I'm pretty sure you're not going to give anything five stars straight away. But if you want, please go ahead and hit that five stars. I think it's worth six stars. I think it's a cracking first episode. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> like and subscribe means you can tell when a new episode drops. Uh, we've got a few more coming in the next few weeks. And it'd be great for you to listen to more. Don't sound too keen, Dave. <laughs> I, I was thinking, is that too begging? Please listen to the other episodes. Please listen to some more, please. Please uh, come back. Yeah. We will be good again, I promise. If you love films <laughs> and you like sequels, then this is the podcast for you. Even if you don't like sequels, because we do talk about some hideous ones as well. Yes. So, you know, if, if you've got an irrational hatred of sequels, this is also the podcast for you too. Agreed. So, we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye.